0: Hey, Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you so much again for being here. So wonderful to see you. Uh, we're going to go back into Acts this morning. Um, this is the series that we've been in for a while and uh, we'll continue until we finish Acts, but we will be taking uh, a couple of breaks. In fact, we have one coming up uh, that's going to be happening over this summer. Not that we're taking a break from church, but we'll be going into some um, other material specifically on Sunday mornings. Uh, so thank you for um, just your, your patience and your encouragement and and just your dedication as we study through this incredible book. It's one of my favorite books of the New Testament because it really wrestles with something that I've had to wrestle with over the years myself, and maybe you found yourself there is just really what does it mean to, to live as a as a Christian as with Jesus in you? Like I I grew up and I was I was in a church that told you what you shouldn't do and, and what you should do and, and and I was I felt very worn out and and you know, not until a later point of my life did I really say, okay, um, Lord, I really believe that there's joy in this Christian life, and there is. There's incredible joy in the Christian life. But rarely do you find joy by just keeping up with a, a long list of do's and don'ts. Um, scripture's clear, and it tells us what we should do in life. In fact, today we're going to talk a little bit about God's will. Um, but it's not just these marching orders that are just you know kind of looming over us. It's the fact that we're called to something that we have a purpose because we follow Jesus Christ, we belong to Him, and He lives in us as, this, as, as a guiding and directing voice to communicate with us. And sometimes, I know what you're thinking, it's, I think the same thing too sometimes, it's hard to exactly know for sure what I'm supposed to do in certain moments, but I believe that a lot of that gray area really comes in into kind of how we approach God, not how He approaches us. And uh, we're going to see a moment here today where the Holy Spirit speaks, um, I don't. I don't believe in the text. Doesn't give um, clarity that it's an audible voice. I believe it was people um, discerning something and taking information, and it really being confirmed in multiple hearts, and then boldly acting on it. Um, and in many times in this world, that's what we're called to do. I love dealing with scripture when scripture just says, "Hey, listen, this is what Jesus is calling us to." I love that because man, that that I I feel sure about that. On everything else in life, I waver a lot. Like I'm I am. I'm an insecure person. So when it comes to making just firm decisions, if it seems like it's outside of Scripture, that's where I'm like, "Ugh!" I kind of throw my hands up. Like, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't don't want to hold up progress. But that's the part that we have to work together as well because decisions have to be made. So we're going to be in Acts 13 this morning, um, an unbelievable chapter. We're only going to be in the first 13 verses. So Acts 13, first 13 verses, just because those numbers match up, it just seems like something good should happen, right? It's going to be, it's going to be great to look at this part of it. Um, so we're going to see at the very beginning of this chapter, um, it, this, is, this is talking about the church at Antioch. Now remember, um, this is an incredible explosion. Last week we talked about some persecution that came. Uh, we talked about one Christian, Peter, who was rescued and freed. Uh, one of the things that I didn't bring up in this service at this time, but I did in the 1045, and I really just believe it was because God just put it um, very clearly on my heart then and just seemed to really bring it out of Scripture, um, that is worth mentioning because I think it's part of the heart of the worship time that we had this morning. Um, if you if you go back and look at that or you go back and listen to that message, you'll notice in chapter 12, Peter is able to rest When he's locked in prison, he's able to just to find really rest and peace in that moment. He finds rest before he finds complete freedom and liberation. Before he's released from prison miraculously by God, before the freedom comes, the peace and the rest shows up because he's he's enough at peace for his body to be able to actually fall asleep. I don't know about you, but if I'm stressed, I don't just fall asleep. My mind is going and going and going. That's why I have to really put a lot of time in prayer to say, Lord, let me, let me hand this to you because I know that I need rest. You want to give me rest. And God, anyway, you can do more with this than I can do. And what we see is we actually see him having a great deal of peace and comfort, enough to actually sleep before freedom came. Uh, in other words, freedom many times represents to us being done with something, it being over, it being being out of its grip. So it's an incredible truth that we see. Here, we're, we're, we're now at this church of Antioch where Barnabas went and got Saul and brought him into because he's not fully being referred to as Paul yet. Um, we're going to start reading verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Now, it's going to getting ready to list five names. Um, th- these are people that... This is not necessarily all the leaders of the church, but these are people that were, are named as examples, so prominent enough to be known publicly by the church. <clears throat> now, please understand this. If, I, if we sat down and we talked about something just generic, like uh, what, are your, what are your five favorite places to eat? Um, you're probably going to rank those based on some level of kind of personal bias. You may say, okay, well, my five favorite places to eat. Your mind may go straight to lunch because that's kind of when you pick and choose where you go eat lunch. Um, it it may just be based off of how far away they are from your work or your house because nobody knows right now whether you're going to have gas next week or not, right? So based on how you list those things has a little bit of personal bias in it. But now in Greek culture, if they were going to write a list consistently, it was going to go this way, greatest to least, If you said, all right, five names, five names of teachers and prophets of the church, they're going to start with the one that's considered the most prominent, the most something, and they're going to end with the person that has maybe the least amount of notoriety. So listen to this. Um, Number one is Barnabas. You remember Barnabas, son of encouragement, the one that keeps going and seeking people and bringing them in and encouraging them and presenting them and presenting the work that God's doing in their life? Man, if you just really have the spirit of encouragement, you won't, have to, you won't have to worry about being taken to the top of the list on anybody's top five. You'll just find your way there. Because that God uses just an encouraging voice so much in people's lives. It's so magnificent, just a word of encouragement, how you can bring that to somebody. If God prompts you with somebody on your heart, please don't pump the brakes on that and think, well, you know, they're busy or they may not have time or they have a lot going on. Be that voice of encouragement because this, I believe, is literally a sign of the effect of how God will use you and use me in other people's lives. Barnabas is listed, number one, Simon, who was called Niger, um, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That's not, that's not the Herod we talked about last week. Got eaten by worms. He's out of, he's, he's out of the story. Um, this is a different Herod. Um, and then finally, and Saul. So most of us read Acts and we think, man, you know, he's got to be at the top of the list. And I think this is just a reminder. One of the the most dangerous things that we can really invest time and energy into as a Christian is where am I on the list? Where do I rank? How am I appreciated? Because it it tempts us to aim attention at ourselves and not aim attention really at the Lord where glory goes automatically is where it should go. I mean, think about what Jesus told his disciples. He said, if you're going to really exist, if you're going to lead in this kingdom, then you have to go from the top of the list to, to the bottom. You have to think about how can you promote others and serve others. And, and when we really spend time thinking about, okay, where do I belong on this list? Then that's a, that's a slippery slope because already we're going to see in, in just a second. And because he's, he's humbly at the lower part, God is going to continue to put Paul in front of people as he goes from Saul to Paul to really carry the gospel to others because his ministry, and you, you hear it echoed all through his letters, it's, it's others, 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 others. He, he's so good in his relationship vertically with the Lord that he's, he's so well prepared for his, all his relationships horizontally. Um, I, I think we can all take great lesson from that. That's the, that's the order that we see. Um, and and, and two it's so great, <clears throat> the, the diversity here. You've got Barnabas who is just a traveling encourager. The next two people are really referenced by where they come from and and probably part of that is an identification of what we would probably call racial differences. Then you have the the fourth person being recognized really as just a very prominent upbringing in not Jewish culture but Greek culture. And, And so you have all these people referenced here and it's like, man, this is a huge diverse Group of people. What do we think that point probably points to? Probably an incredibly diverse church in Antioch, because I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Leadership doesn't tend to be as diverse as participation. You ever notice that? Um, leadership tends to kind of look a little bit more similar because we tend to kind of gather people around us that maybe are, are, are similar. Um, In some ways, we don't necessarily look for diversity always. So usually you have more diversity below what is considered leadership instead of just on that leadership level. So if we see this kind of diversity on the leadership level, this is an incredibly fun church to be a part of when it comes to just the whole body that's in there. Verse 2, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, notice that. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after they had fasted and prayed and they laid hands on them, they sent them off. Now, this speaks to what I think a lot of us would refer to as God's will. Like, what, what does God want done in this particular scenario? Now, very first off, I want to mention this, and I, and I wrote this down, and I have gone back for two days and tried to figure out where I found this quote from. Not mine, and you'll know it because you'll you'll hear it, and you go, "Hey, that sounds good." That didn't come from that guy. Um, I, it's not mine. I cannot find the the source for this, so I can't give complete credit. But I want you to hear this um, this particular quote about um, God's will, because I think the way this is phrased and the way it's built for us in Acts thirteen is so important to see. The obedience of God's general will triggers the revelation of His unique will. Did you catch that? The obedience of God's general will triggers the revelation of his unique will. Many times we want to know, man, God, like, what is your will? Like, what is your, wait, like, what should I do right now? Is what I'm doing right? Is this the choice that I should make? God, I want to know your will. And, and, and there's a danger in that because we can get, we, we, if we're not careful we can get prideful. God, I want to know your will for this thing in my life. Jared, I wanna know for my life. Because really, if it's God's will, what we're really after, we we need to have an appetite for him and his fellowship and his intimacy. Say, God, I want to know you and I want to please you. So, God, what can I do to please you? What would be the thing that I could decide right now? And how could this relationship go? In a way that I could actually give glory and honor and attention to you, not myself. God, I don't want to choose right to have a good life. I want to choose right so I I can honor you and be able to give testimony to Jesus Christ. And when we think that, we say, man, man like, nobody thinks that way. And I think that's the problem. We don't think that way. We think, I, 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 cause, because what I'll say, I don't want to choose the wrong thing and, and mess things up. I don't, I don't want to have a problem because I make the wrong choice. No, I want to give glory to God because I made the right choice. I want to be positioned well for him so I could be used by him in the right ways Because I followed what he said. And and, and so many times that quote that I read a few minutes ago, I think is something that that, that can help us so much. If we are generally obeying, living in obedience and faithfulness to the Lord, then we are at a place in better fellowship with him that it's just easier to know really what he wants us to do in specific ways. You You ever just walked into... A situation with someone maybe maybe it's a spouse maybe it's someone you work with but you ever just kind of walk into a situation and and you realize you were on their bad side and you didn't even know that they had two sides like but you were just like you walked up and you went oh oh okay this we're doing this today right like you just know that's what it is and and in your mind you're going like I don't know what I did and 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 I think sometimes this is where our mind jumps we go oh, you know what like, I don't know what I did. Like, I, we haven't really talked lately. I haven't really been around them. You know, for me, I, I think that's when I kind of go, well, maybe that's, maybe that's part of my obstacle. Had we talked more, had we been around each other more, I would probably know, or it probably wouldn't have happened. I think with people, we live that out and go, okay, that makes sense. But it's really transferable to our relationship with Jesus. And the closer we are to him consistently, the more we can know his will, specifically in different ways. I want to I want to um, mention a few things to you. Um, here's a definition as a as a guy who writes great, useful theological reference stuff. His name's Wayne Grudem. He he defines God's will this way. God's will is the attribute of God, whereby He approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for the existence and activity of Himself and all creation. So I want to break down God's will for you in a few different ways, just real quick. we won't spend a lot of time here because eventually at some point this morning they're going to start flashing um, just offensive messages at me to tell me to stop preaching and, and I'll somewhat pay attention. Um, so, so think about God's will this way, okay? Um, his necessary will versus his free will. Necessary versus free. Um, God is God. There are certain things about his character that, that if they were violated at all, he, could, he, he would cease being God. So to be God, there are certain things that, that have to happen. When when Scripture tells us the truth is God is love, that if God doesn't love, he can't be God, and, and so he, he must love. It's, it's, it's automatic, if you think of it that way. Versus his free will. Things that God, out of that same character, he does them, but not because he has to. Creation is a great example of that. God existed in himself, in three persons, in perfect harmony, perfect relationship, knowing that he's fully God, and, and there's perfect knowledge within that. Nothing outside of that ever had to exist. But God chose to create. He put that as part of our image. Many, there's a lot of creative people in this room. There's a lot of pe- creative people watching this morning. God chose to create so that his, he could be known to other people and when he could be in fellowship and relationship with them because there's just this overflow of all who God is. So he didn't have to create, but he did. So that's, that's God's automatic, if you will, necessary will versus his free will, the things that God does, but he, he does them by choice. Now, of the things that he does by choice, and even some of his necessary will, we then see it divided into two other ways. Uh, I want you to consider it this way. His secret will versus his revealed will. That's, that's basically what, what, does, what has God already shown us to understand versus what do we not know yet. And sometimes we go, man, there's a, I feel like there's a lot, God, that I don't know. Let's really start reading that book out loud in the mornings together. But there's things that God reveals. His Word, God's Word is His revealed will. Everything that we can study and learn. Why, why study Scripture? Because it's God's perfect Word, complete and spoken to us. We can know so much just out of the Bible. I mean, we just, we just, but we have to study, we have to dig into it so God's Spirit can then also educate us through that. And there's times where God then reveals something outside of the Word that's going on in our life or, or just even a truth from the Word. He helps us to, it, it enlightens our understanding. It's just not automatically what we understand. And there's some things that we just trust in. And, and there's, that, there's always that element of God, you're God, and I just trust you, so I'm going to keep living this life for you, even though I don't know everything. And because those are the things that we don't totally understand yet. Okay? One other verses when it comes to God's will. And this is, I think, many times really where we operate functionally. His direct will versus his general will. In other words, we we general will, we know that there's things that God just says, hey, all humanity, you need to do this. But then there's the things where we go, okay, God, but in my life, in my life, what about this thing? What do I do right now about this? What's your will in this for me? And that's where we really battle. We talked about it. we really battle pride and selfishness because we're trying to make it all about Jesus. But we also really, we really are just consumed with what we're experiencing. Now I don't have a, I don't have time to really exercise out well especially when it gets to direct and general will. But I do want to mention three things to you, okay? Number one, there was a series we did a while back. It was called Gray Area, I think. Um, and I can give you a copy of this if you want. It's called The Corinthian Grid. I did not invent it. Uh, it came out of the 70s from InterVarsity. I mean, it's a phenomenal thing. You can Google it. Um, it's called The Corinthian Grid, it, especially if you're talking about, hey, is this thing that I'm doing or this relationship that I'm in or this habit of mine, is this something that God would be honored with, or is this something I should try to figure out out of my life? How to kick it to the curb? The Corinthian grid is a great formula to work through to say, "Okay, God, what do you what do you really say about this?" Now, some of the questions in the Corinthian grid are, are going to have to really be meditative questions because, for instance, one of the questions is, "Does this in some way hinder my closeness with the Lord? Am I am I dependent on this for something that I should be dependent on the Lord for?" That's got to really be wrestled with. Especially on, on things that we say, hey, to relax, I fill in the blank. I mean, it can be as simple as the only way I can relax is go for a run. You say, okay, well, if, if in my mind that really gets concreted in, and hey, that's the only thing that I can do that get, that relaxes me, then that means I'm really not giving credit to the Lord for really all He can do just inside of me. Does that make sense? And, and, and you can swap run out. I just use run because nobody's really offended by running. Um, uh, but we get offended by other things besides running, but I, I didn't want to talk about those this morning, so um, I, didn't, I, I try not to offend people to the end of this message. Um, there's a couple of other books. Um, this is one, um, and I, just, I have some points highlighted in a couple of these books. I've read these. Um, if, if you want to read something, especially when you want to talk about and kind of wrestle with this idea of how do I live generally for the Lord, so that I can hear him more specifically. Um, this is what's called the four wills of God. The main points in this book, um, again, the general will of God. Believe in Jesus Christ, that's in salvation. Give thanks in everything, be a thankful person. Submit in doing right. In other words, that's a that's a spirit thing. I'm going to bend my will, Lord, to what your will says. Um, and then also, to specifically God's word talks about to abstain from sexual sin. Um, and if you've never really... Meditated over and looked through and dug through in your life, what are, what are the effects that sexual sin has? I mean, it, it, especially down to the level of, of pornography and a lot of things like that, um, it is a it is a life wrecker and it will separate us in in what we feel like our kind of numb, casual, secret ways from really walking close with the Lord. Um, that book is 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 really fantastic. It's a little, it's just kind of a normal length read. Um, if you're looking for something quick to read. Um, This is a book by John MacArthur called Found God's Will. Um, I've got a few copies of both of these. If you just really want one today, I'll give it to you if this is really on your heart. Um, That particular book basically gives you five things that if these five things are present in your life, then you can trust, again, remember, think about this, generally living that triggers his direct will, you can trust that as, as it says in Psalms, God will give you the desires of your heart. See, the prideful way to interpret that scripture is, all right, God, I really want this. I'm praying for it. Give it to me. But if we really seek the Lord and say, God, I want to live for you, then the things that we will start discovering, the things that I want are really things that he's already put into my heart and put into my thoughts and put into my mind. This book stresses that that someone must be saved. Live spirit-filled. That's not a secondary feeling. That's really led by the spirit and what you're doing. Um, sanctified, living a life you embrace, that, you, that your life is set apart for the Lord. Again, submit, that's one, one of the things, the spirit of submitting. And then embracing um, that suffering is a real part of life, and, it, and it's and it's needful and necessary for our growth and really the furtherance of the kingdom. Those are the five things that if you really embrace those things, you can trust so much of what the desires are already in your heart. So hopefully, um, and and I know that was just kind of three things thrown at you, but hopefully one of those will land if this is something you really want to grow in and learn more about. Verse 4, I'm back to the uh, text in Acts. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. This this part of the scripture I want to I want I want to do a pit stop here and really talk about opportunities, because chapter 13 really begins what we can see as God's kingdom being built by specific people in their lives, what they're doing, where they're going, all those things, and that really that's the mission of us. Like we should never be a church and never should be individual Christians. They're in maintenance mode. In other words, just living life on a pattern or a habit or whatever it is. We should always be missional about, God, what what can I do and what can I be a part of to really see this world transformationally changed for Jesus Christ? I want to not just love him, but I want to see others love him. And how can we get there? And how can you use me for that? So as we as we think about this, we we have to find opportunities in our life. The first opportunity that we see are these people that that went Barnabas and Saul. They also had John Mark with them. The, the first opportunity that we see them seize is is to go and teach in the synagogue. Now, um, you may say, okay, that that must have been something that was just kind of a religious privilege, or they must have had certain papers or permissions with them. No. Synagogues in these kind of towns would have been really actually very small buildings. This would not have been a large gathering, a large church meeting. This would have been a relatively small gathering. Um, And if you think about small church environments, um, those are the environments where it's more likely that on a given day, you'll hear someone share a prayer request out loud to the whole group. You'll hear someone speak um, more impromptu. Right? You get in a crowd of ten thousand. that stuff just doesn't happen as often. that's the That's the model of the synagogue. That's what you see happening there. and And here's what would happen. to to kind of challenge thought and to really convict hearts, A synagogue would welcome anybody that was really an educated, learned person. If you were trained, if you were equipped in some area of spiritual discipline, you were welcome to come in there and speak. So when they went in there, they went in, and as they opened the floor to, hey, who would like to share something, they were like, hand up, this is me. So they were welcome to speak in the environment. So the environment was welcoming, but also we see that the people were welcoming and this is a great truth because if you read in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus doesn't put on us as believers. And please hear this. I think a lot of us, we get scared and we get nervous about how do I share my faith? When do I talk to this person if they're lost about salvation? When do I talk to this Christian about the things that I'm seeing and the difficulty that's going on in life? And we really get very nervous and uptight about when should I speak Here's a great freedom. You ready for this? Matthew chapter 10. Jesus never wanted you or I to carry this idea that we have to just bust through doors and we just have to force our way into conversations and just take the abuse of people for the cause of Christ. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talks to his followers about going out and sharing the truth of God's word, okay? Sharing the truth of God's word. He tells them, he says, you need to look for places of peace. In other words, what place and what people are welcoming to the message that you have. And consistently what we see is is that there's a story to share from those interactions. People ask questions. People listen. There's conversation after it. You pick up on details of the life that people are going through. But Jesus tells them this about places and people that are unwelcoming. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet, when you leave that house or town. In other words, it was a symbolic ritual to where they would say, okay, kick the dirt off your shoes because as you walk to the next place that the Lord leads you, don't carry that abuse. Don't carry that sadness, that discouragement with you because that could really hamper you in your next opportunity. And isn't that great? That allows us to trust the Lord that, that if an environment and a people are unwelcoming, that we can say, hey Lord, you're the really the one at work here. If it's not for me to speak into this people or this place, then you're going to allow me to go somewhere where it is. And I trust you that you're going to send someone else to do it. And we, man, sometimes we, we kind of get in this, this forceful mindset of, well, hey, if I don't force a message down someone's throat right now, God's not going to do something. Okay, But if we force, we actually may wreck the gospel's message into somebody's life. We may really cause damage. We have to make sure that it's the Lord guiding us. Now, we're talking about sharing the truth. So I want to put the truth in perspective. I want to read a verse out of, um, actually a couple verses out of 1 Peter. But in your hearts, regard Christ. This is, this is Peter, the one that we saw, you know, freed last week. But in your hearts, regard Christ, the Lord, as Holy. Ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do this with gentleness and respect. You ever, you ever talk to somebody and somebody's just like, you know, look, I, I just got to tell the truth. I just got I, I to be able to speak honestly. We're like, yeah, we know. We know. When you deal with somebody like that, you, you don't have any trouble saying, hey, give me your honest opinion, and please, can I have it with a side dish of hurt and sarcasm? Right, like, like it's like they're, they're like no problem. I already have it made up. I just keep, I just kind of cook this in a hot nasty stew that I spew out all the time. Notice what the word of God says about sharing the truth. Because here's the, here's the thing: as Christians, we can make true statements. That is very different than sharing the truth. Very very different. Because the truth, like Jesus, like it says about Jesus, Jesus was what? Jesus was the truth and grace. We're specifically told here by Paul, we need to speak with gentleness and respect. What does that mean? Go to Ephesians 4 and read about communication. If we speak in toxic ways, if we're rude, if we're aggressive at times that we shouldn't be, we're, I, this, we're getting ready to see that Christians aren't called to be like spineless people. But, but if, 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 we're, if we just come in hot at the wrong time, we can say, hey, I'm, I'm being honest, but we're not being godly. So which one do we want to win? I'm not promise. I'm not preaching to you. I, I'm, this echoes in my heart very loudly. OK? Now, verse six, we're going to see a different level of opportunity, because I think these verses are really important for us to know. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet, named Bar Jesus. He was with, and, and okay, now we're gonna come back to him in a second. He's really, he, this is gonna get really intense with this guy, but I wanna, I want you to really focus on who he's with. He was with the proconsul. This guy would have been appointed into office by Caesar, okay? This guy was the most prominent person on the land that they were walking on. If they're gonna get an audience with somebody, they are getting ready to get an audience with a guy that is straight at the top. It doesn't say this in Scripture, but in my heart, I just want to believe that Barnabas and Saul, as they were getting ready to walk on the dirt that he governed, they were just like, Lord, give us the most authoritative set of ears in this whole place. We want to, we want to share the gospel with the person that, that, that could have the most influence on people's lives and the decisions that they make. I don't know that they did, but in my heart, I just want to, I just want to know that bold prayer was there because of how it gets answered. He was the pro Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul. Notice what did, did did they come up and just bust the doors to the to the to the local civics office down? No, he summoned them. God works in so many ways ahead of us, right? Isn't it great? Just when when we see that someone is is willing to listen, we have to trust that God has already been doing something in their heart. This this guy has no reason to invite them in. But he summons them, Paul and Barnabas, and wanted to hear the word of God. We think about opportunities. This is why it's so critical to say, Lord, I need to trust you for what opportunities. Because at some point, we'll look at an opportunity and we'll be in awe because we'll be standing in front of someone that we go, I should have never been in front of that person or those people. I think it every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning, I'm like God. There is no reason that I get to speak out of Your Word on Sunday mornings. I know my life, and I know me, and 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 I know the mess that you constantly have to clean up. But it is a privilege and an honor just to share God's Word in any way. And and sometimes we look and we see one person or a group of people. We're like, I should have never had that audience. But then if we're not careful, we'll also look at different circumstances. And we'll just see them as mundane and normal and insignificant. And in fact, it's the most significant moment that we could ever be in. And and that category for me that I constantly have to remind myself of is just this thing called home every day. The audience of my sons that are going to go off and live lives of grown men or if they don't mature like some men don't, grown boys. They're going to live lives with families and jobs And just because that's not here yet, i got to be careful not to ignore that that's one of the greatest audiences I can have. Again, if we trust that God is working, the the exact audience and the exact environment won't mean nearly as much to just, God, can I speak truth right now in gentleness and and respect? Can I do it in a way that it builds up and it trains and equips? He summons. But here's here's an obstacle. You ready? Because this is getting ready to be the opposition. With opportunity often comes opposition. You say, I don't like opposition. Well, do you want an opportunity? Right? I mean, I have to ask myself sometimes, gosh, if I didn't have to deal with the with the with the problems and the drama of this, but okay, but 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 if you if you're not willing to deal with that part, you don't get the rest of the opportunity. And it's a good spiritual discipline for us. Um here here's here's the opposition that comes in. But but Elimus, the sorcerer, and as scripture referenced, that's the meaning of his name opposed them, and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, (laughs) stared straight at Alimus and said, now I know I just said gentleness and respect. Please hear me. The Bible's not going against its own truth. Uh, We're going to talk about why he said what he said in just a second, but I just want you to hear it first. Okay, you ready? He said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil. He, he said devil, okay? He said devil. You son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting? A lot of translations say, making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist of darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When as believers do we step up and, and, we, and we become more assertive and more serious in a situation? I, I want to start with there. When do we really lock in to go, okay, this is not a passive moment for us? First of all, I want to tell you this. I don't believe that Saul, becoming Paul, was, was just angry at, and he was just against Elimas. I don't believe that this is supposed to teach us to target someone. What did Elimus represent? We already talked about it. He represented being an obstacle for someone else hearing the word of God and believing in faith. The way that Paul described him was, he said, you, you, you're making crooked the straight path of the Lord. In other words, God, you talk about God's will, he has got direct plans to get his truth and his grace and his peace and his love and his salvation into the lives of people. He has a direct plan for us as believers to grow in our faith and live differently than we've ever lived, lived tra- changed, transformation, transformational lives, really just I mean, completely molded and gripped by the gospel. He has a direct will for that. So people and things that get in the way, in other words, something that would stand in the way of it happening directly and then it would have to wrap around them and move around them to accomplish God's plans, that is an obstacle to the gospel. And those kind of obstacles, as believers, we can't be tolerant of those. But we have to do it in a way to where we're really wrestling with this this difficulty of if it's truth, it's got to be in gentleness and peace. But I can't be satisfied if something... Is in the way of the gospel. How do we really know what Paul's heart is, man? Paul's heart, man. He must have been angry. Like he he pronounced like this this awful curse over this guy. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Do you remember when Paul got saved? As Saul, he was on the road, and Jesus came and he said, "Why are you persecuting me?" In other words, he said, "This is not really about all these people you're going after. This is about me and you." He said, why are you persecuting me? In other words, the, the, the people that I'm trying to reach, Paul, Saul, you're in the way of that. Why are you in the way of that? What is, what is God, I'm I mean, sorry, what is Jesus in that moment, God in, in the form of Jesus? What did he say to Saul? You're going to lose your sight. You're going to be led around for a time. It's the same thing. Yes. Was he bold? Yes. Did did he just say, hey, I like something awful? He's, he, he's basically just saying, hey, listen, what I've experienced in the seriousness that I know of about how Jesus sees his own message of love and the grace, and I've seen what he does to to, to move people out of the way, but also to bring people to him. I, I believe that, that Saul saw this as a serious opportunity for Elimus to go, hey, this is, this is a power that's not man. He's a sorcerer. If anybody could do, muster up a trick here, if anybody could cure themselves, you would have thought it would have been him if it was real power. But Saul pronounces over him the same event that happened to Saul, I believe, I really do believe, as an opportunity for him to come to the same awareness. Saul was convinced, hey, God's, God's trying to get you too, Alimus. You're in the way of the gospel now, but he wants you too. So what he pronounces over him is the same thing that he'd already walked through. And he knew as he walked through it, there was grace on the other side. And he trusted God for that grace. So when we as believers have to say, okay, we we, we got to stand up for something that's really an obstacle to the gospel in someone's life or, or, or a scenario like that or an environment, we have to be careful that we don't just go and pronounce something that's worse than what we've ever experienced. We have to continue to trust the Lord we have to continue to say, okay, this is how, God, you've worked in my life, and I want to give this person the same opportunity. I want them to hear your truth. I want them to have an opportunity to respond to it. Boldness can't exist in that way. I'll be honest with you. Chapter 13, and there's some of this stuff in here. I hope I'm saying this well. I hope this is really jumping off the page or the screen or whatever it is for you to really understand what God, all the ways that God is working in this and how he works with opposition and when he does want us to stand up and when he wants us really to be in gentle and a peace mode. Because it, 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 on some levels it's just I, I, like I, I can see it and I feel like God's speaking so much and I, I hope I'm not, I hope I'm doing it credit. So Saul pronounces this over him. Verse 12, it says, Then, then, okay, opposition is not the end. When, when, when something stands against you, it's not the end of things. God still is working. He's still going to lead you to the next step. Then, when he saw what happened, this is the pro-counsel. When he saw what happened, man, wouldn't it be great if the first time we share Christ with somebody, they received salvation? It would be phenomenal. Man, we would tell everybody, because if one conversation done, that that would be amazing. Statistically still, it's, it's still the same thing. Between seven and eight times, Fully someone hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and how they can be saved on average before they really repent of their sin and, and surrender their life to Jesus Christ. Some people, you may go, I'm, I've been praying and witnessing to somebody for years. They like, if, if 7.8 is the average, then man, they've really got to be taking this thing north. I know, I know, but God's working in their life. Be patient. Be patient along with the Lord. When he saw what happened, the pro-council believed. Notice it doesn't say, then, when he heard the exact phrasing the way that Saul put it, he believed. So much of someone's relationship with Jesus, God uses you and He uses me. But He doesn't have to have the perfect version of us to speak clearly to draw someone. He heard the truth. But the truth needed to match an experience. He needed to see evidence, power in something. And he saw it. He saw Saul share the gospel, how, how, how true Jesus was. And, he, and, and then he saw the effect of what happened to somebody that was an obstacle to, to the gospel. And he went, whoa, this is real. And says he believed. Because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So salvation happened. It didn't happen immediately the first thing he said, it actually happened after the opposition. Isn't that crazy? We think that that all the good things in life are going to happen as part of the momentum, the good things that are rolling forward, but salvation here comes after the opposition. It's just as crazy as last week, peace coming before freedom. Because it should be, hey, let me get out of this situation and I'll have peace. But the Lord can bring peace despite that. This isn't just the end of the story. Next comes a setback. Setback, okay? Verse 13, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. But John, it's John Mark, who's been with them now, and, and, and weathered, that he was there in the opportunity, he was there in the opposition, he saw the fruit after the opposition. But at this point it says, but John left them, and went back to Jerusalem. Okay, well, somebody left. What's the big deal? Well, we know how big of a deal it is. If you if you read further in the New Testament, um, Barnabas brings John Mark back to to Paul at this point and goes, "Hey, like, let's 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 all travel together." And Paul's like, "Nope, sorry." Like this guy took he didn't just take the wind out of ourselves. He was such a hurt and discouragement before that 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 Paul and Barnabas disagreed and they actually went separate ways. It wasn't until later. As God worked on Paul's heart, did they really all fully come back together? It's a discouragement when people leave. Isn't it a discouragement when someone steps away from you, when you're really trying to work towards the good of something? It's never a feel-good moment when somebody leaves a church body and a church family. We don't always know the reasons. Now, I will say this. I'll be honest with you. I think our church is a great place to be, the most wonderful people I've ever been connected with. And that alone is enough to draw somebody in that's not saved. Just good people being good to them. I get that. But when it really comes to living the word of God, if somebody really doesn't know Jesus, it doesn't shock me if they go, I don't know if I'm going to stick in for all that, all that teaching, all those, all those things I'm supposed to do, I'm, I'm supposed to be called to do. Because if you're not really in love with Jesus, I don't know how you muster up enough to really live for him and trust him all that we need to trust him. But it it never feels good when somebody leaves. It doesn't feel good when a relationship ends. It doesn't feel good when a a friend drifts off. That's not an encouragement. And this is what they went through, a time of discouragement. But you know what? Setbacks are never meant to stop us. You know, we tend to fight. We tend to fight opposition. Setbacks, man, they can mount up and almost really make us want to quit when even opposition did. Setbacks are never intended to stop what God's doing. And if you read the rest of the chapter, man, the church, the kingdom, it just continues to expand. God's just doing stuff miraculously all over the place. People are being used. People are being used, not teachers and prophets only, not just pastors. People are being used in every imaginable way. The work continues. So I don't know what your, your exact message you needed to hear this morning was. Maybe you just needed to hear that. That the work is going to continue. Maybe the setbacks in life are, have just been mounting up on you, and it's just—it's—it's it's, it's nothing you couldn't—you couldn't just kind of brush off, you know, fairly easily. But it's just—it's—it's it's just been mounting up, and you just need that word of encouragement. But man, it's just—it's going to continue. Maybe for you this morning, you've really gone through a season where you don't know where you belong or where you matter, and 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 the list has really driven like I need to know where I'm at. And maybe maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. The the, the list is actually failure because the Holy Spirit had a general purpose for them all. They were living it. They were fasting. They were praying. They were doing all this thing. They were worshiping. There there was a lifestyle that he was calling them to, but he said also within that lifestyle, I'm going to pick one in five, and I'm going to send them all over this world to build this kingdom. One in five was a reference of their definition, not the Holy Spirit's. He had a specific intention. It didn't matter where they saw themselves or where their name was listed. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you've been or anything. It, it, it matters what God sees in you and wants to do through you. Man, but maybe you're fighting it right now. You've got an, you've got an, an alimus in your life that, that may be something physical or it may be a person, but it, but it is just it is standing in the way of what you believe God can do in your life. And, and it may not have any idea about what you're going through. It might just be the thing or the person that's just, it seems like it's opposing everything for you right now. And, and that alone, you just go, this, this can't continue, this can't stand. And, and, and listen, I want to tell you something. God has power over that thing or that person as well. But but if we continue to try to try to handle them and do it and, and take care of it ourselves, we may not end up in ultimately the place where God can use us. Just in in every single way, we may live in discouragement longer than God ever intended for us to uh, e- even exist there. And this morning, you you need to know and you need to hear: you have the freedom to proclaim God's truth over whatever that thing or that person is, and not allow them to be the opposition that holds up progress, but 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 for the kingdom work in your life and around you for it to continue. And and I want to I want to tell you. That God can work in so many ways. Remember remember last week, peace, peace, rest, before liberation. Someone doesn't have to completely leave your life before God gives you the mental and the spiritual victory over what they're doing to you. God even doesn't have to remove the physical condition before you live above that. But you better be careful because when we really surrender things to God, You don't know that that physical condition won't go away. You don't know that that person won't be removed and God gets the glory and, and things that will happen as well. I don't... I wish I knew exactly what you needed this morning. But I don't because I'm not worthy to stand here. Because in my mind, my mind tells me that if you're worthy to stand up and share the gospel, you should just be able to know everything and see everything. And and that's just not the way it works. But I just know that God wants to use us as a group and you individually, not just to be changed yourself, but to change everything around you for the glory of Jesus Christ. And I know there's stuff that's warring against against that change. And there's a lot of lies and there's a lot of things being twisted to get you to stop or give up. So just please don't. Just please don't. Can we pray? Lord God, as we sing in the next few moments... God, we want to give honor to Jesus Christ. So as we sing, Lord, help us in our minds and our hearts be committed to the glory of Jesus, the the attention of Him. So God, I ask that the freedom would be in hearts this morning. That if someone feels really led to just come forward and pray with someone else, with themselves, just by themselves, just with the Holy Spirit, God, in whatever form or whatever fashion, whether someone's at home and they just need to get on their knees right now, and God, just devote some moments and time to you. God, maybe that's what they need to do. Maybe they need to be seen by their family around them. Lord, that they're just serious, God, about the work that you're doing in their heart and in their soul and in their mind right now. And Lord, that needs to be seen in the house. And Lord, maybe it needs to be seen by someone here, God. Not not that we're doing stuff to be seen, but God, we we trust how you'll encourage and how you'll speak to another heart that's not ours. So God, just help us to be obedient. Lord, I pray that if someone here is just really grieved over something that is represented by Alimus this morning out of your word, that it's an opposition to God what they see happening in their life and what they want you to do and how they want, Lord, to live for you, God, that they will be able to bring that before you today, God, for you to speak truth about, for them to be aware, God, that if something's in the way of your direct work, Lord, you will act greatly on our behalf. So God, if we find that something stays, then we can then live and trust and faith in you, God, that it's there for a purpose and a reason. And Lord, that you'll encourage us and you'll equip us through that as well. God, if somebody struggles with, with, with their appreciation and their identity and their value, Lord, I pray that, God, you will speak deeply into their soul, that, Lord, that, that, that humans create value in things that are meaningless. Lord, and it is only to live for you to serve others, God, and just to experience the peace that you give us. Lord, setbacks, the things that just happen that most people say, hey, it's, it's going to be okay, it's going to be all right, and we, and we should, and we can almost easily in our own strength just move past. God, they build up and they, 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 they show evidence later down the line, years down the line like they did for Paul. God, that, that, that something that could be happening now could be a serious struggle later down the line. So God, help us to not ignore the things that are going on in our lives, but God, help us to surrender them to you to take stock, God, and what you're showing us. Lord, because people need to hear Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him risen for salvation. And Lord, if there's someone in here this morning that they just needed to come to church to get stuff out of their way, or they're listening at home, and they've been able to be in the still and the quiet, and they hear Jesus this morning, that salvation is only found in Him. And that was the message of love and grace that Saul and Barnabas were bringing to a, to a ruler. That said, I want to hear the gospel, God. If they're the person of peace this morning, I pray that their surrender to Jesus Christ will be firm in their soul, that they'll come up, they'll share that. They'll check a box on our cards. they'll, they'll, They'll note something online so we can continue this walk together. But God, that their relationship with Jesus will begin this morning. God, I believe in such a real great way that you're speaking right now. So Lord... Help me and help others to be silent where we need to be silent so we can, as a church and as a people and as individuals, God, just surrender our hearts and our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we, as we sing?